I immediately asked for a sober buddy because I'm not a very good herd animal. Um, so I immediately connected with someone that I knew that's obviously on um, our group as well. Um, and Laura was just brilliant. She was a perfect match. And, um, you know, she was just the right person. I could ask questions, but she wasn't intrusive. It, you know, it was just easy. She gave me a couple of pointers. Um, it was wonderful to connect. And I think, I mean, I look at the group now and I see new people coming on and just how supportive people are and kind of, when you nearly 200 days into it, you kind of forget what it felt like on that first day. And just seeing how, you know, how people genuinely respond to positivity and help and knowing that they, you know, there are people out there. It's wonderful. It's, and, I, and you cannot do it without a, a community. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. We believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So we're all about community. We're about keeping each other on track. Each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. My Friday win is the subtle, exquisite joy I feel waking up early, feeling at peace, feeling whole and knowing my body is free from alcohol and this is how I'm meant to be. I feel like a child again, whole, complete, ready for the day not slow, poisoned, and fighting myself. So if you want to join our tribe and connect with others on this path, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So let's get to my guest. This week I'm chatting to one of our members, Carlin. Ever since she came to a private workshop just over six months ago, she's been flying. Not only has she ditched the drink herself, but she's been inspiring many people in our community. I began by asking Carlin to introduce herself. Okay, so I am 47 years old. Um, I am married. I have two bonus daughters, and with them comes two bonus um, son-in-laws and a little grandchild who's six years old. And um, then I have a son of my own who has turned 19 this year. I've been in the wine industry for... <sighs> nearly 20 years. Yeah, so, and I grew up on a farm. Um, I'm one of four daughters. I've got very, very good relationships with my siblings. Um, we're a very tight knit family. So, uh, Colin, tell us when you first started thinking about your relationship with alcohol and, and maybe you needed to cut down or, or change things up a bit. Janet, I think to be honest, it probably always bothered me. Um, I, I do like to be in control of things. Um, and I think working in the industry and obviously having lots of opportunities to overdo it a little bit or not, I think there were always um, 
always occasions where you kind of felt I always had that thing on the back, the monkey on the shoulder, the monkey on the back going, you know what, Oof, what did you say last night? Or are you, you know, should you really be drinking this much? Um, and I think, um, as you know, I've recently started a blog, but in one of those, I've actually written about it, I think, and it's scary and it's actually sad. I think for a long time, I actually wished that, you know, something big would happen, like a health scare something. Um, which did actually happen, but I ignored it. Um, but I think, you know, that a health scare would happen and it, that that would kind of bolt me into some sort of a moderation or whatever. So I think it's always bothered me. Um, I think I probably have a bit of an overdeveloped conscience too. So I think that's probably also why. Um, but yeah, really kind of, I think it's probably about uh, I think I, I came across one of your posts probably on being in the wine industry. I think we get fed a lot of those um, I uh, because I was clearly doing a lot of wine things um, or searching for a lot of wine topics. Um, I think I came across your, either it was on the radio, I think there was a radio interview or it was on social media and kind of started, you know, looking into it. Um, and I think doing that thing that everybody does sort of, in the morning when you have a hangover or when you're worried about your drinking, Googling, am I an alcoholic? Um, <laughs> and hoping that it would say no. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, I think it's always bothered me. Um, but kind of... And do, did, you, did you have any periods where you stopped drinking for a while? Did you do dry January and no, sober never. spring? That's never. Absolutely. Put the fear of God into me. It's like thinking, God, if I had to stop, how do people actually do that? However, I'm, I'm obviously quite fit and I love exercising. So for a very long time, I would kind of do, you know, the Monday to Thursday. So Monday would be oh, this weekend. I feel horrible. Why did we drink so much kind of thing? You know, suffer like hell on a Monday morning um, at gym. Then you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then by Thursday, whew, okay, no, then you give in. Then you deserve a glass of wine. And then you just kind of, you know, then it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then when you start working it out, you realize actually only drinking, you're like not drinking for three days, but you're actually drinking for four. So I did do that and I could, and I knew all the benefits. So, you know, it was possible, but thinking of stopping completely or doing a dry January or a sober October, anything that, whew, that frightened me. So when uh, did you, and why did you decide to come to a workshop? What, what kind of changed? I think lockdown a little bit. I think it started at the beginning of the year. So I had a lot of, and I think it's this overdeveloped conscious thing. It started with me at the beginning of the year, and it actually started with my sort of cognitive dissonance around food. And I was just so tired of thinking about, you know, dieting and what you're eating and not eating, whatever. And I came across this lady. She's actually a psychologist, and she works from Australia. I have followed a program first before, so it was more about mindfulness, actually. So I just wanted to get rid. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be rid of this constant thinking about food, etc. Of course, one of the interesting things, which is quite ironic, is there's one sort of um, script that she does, which is about the fear of missing out or the fear of failure or fear of actually success. And then one of the things you have to do is imagine, you know, the one thing you cannot go without. And kind of that obviously spikes your fear tremendously. Um, and you sit with that emotion, etc. And for me, it was actually wine. But interestingly enough, I never thought about that because, God, I did not want to give up my wine. That was not going to happen. So kind of as I spoke, and I actually had one-on-one -on -one session with her um, and realized I had subconscious identity around certain things, um, one being 
a fat person, which I am not. But for me, it was also always a subconscious thing that I kind of went through and I acted accordingly. So, you know, what was in my subconscious was the thing that I was living out. Um, so I was either self-sabotaging or I was, you know, beating myself up, etc. And and then realized that it was a similar relationship with, with wine. Um, so it was actually just I wanted, I had this deep, deep desire to become more mindful, to be free. I think for me, firstly, it was about the mindfulness. I wanted to live a more mindful life. And I realized that with wine in the equation, um, you know, there are a lot of moments that you miss out on and you're not actually really here for your life. So that's basically it. And I think also, obviously, I think as with a lot of people in South Africa, I think the wine drinking just spiked or the alcohol consumption just spiked during lockdown because we were home. So it was drinking at lunch and it was drinking at dinner and there was no break in between. And I just kind of woke up one day and I thought, no, this is enough. Stop already. The mindfulness thing is interesting, isn't it? Because when we numb ourselves with alcohol, that's the opposite of mindfulness, isn't it? So when you came to the workshop, did you have the intention to try and stop or did you come along with an open mind or what frame of mind were you in when you booked it? Well, as you know, I had a private session with you because I couldn't, I think I couldn't attend the following week because we went away. But um, I, I think, and you would recall, actually, I know you ask everyone this, um, whether you're thinking of giving up completely or whether mm. you, you know, considering. And at, the, at that point, I actually said to you, uh, you know what, I don't know. I just want to try this out. I want to, I'm a I'm a person who likes challenges. So for me, the challenge was a great thing. It was something that, you know, I could do and I wanted to do and I could tick little things off the box and um, et cetera. So, uh, so kind of I liked the idea of a challenge. I think doing it during lockdown was actually easier for me to an extent because obviously there wasn't socialization. So all the romanticism around it wasn't really there. Um, so it was just literally a case of me putting my head down and actually doing it. So I didn't really have an intention. And I suppose even if I asked myself the question today, are you never going to have wine again? Um, I can't say, yes, I don't know. Um, I might be able to moderate. At the moment, I don't want to. So um, for me, it's, and, I, and I'm <laughs> very much through this whole exercise of mindfulness and kind of trying to figure out what your identity is. I am not a person who lives life in moderation. I live life at, you know, I'm either in or out. Um, so, yes, I think for me it was just to, to get information and I just had a very deep desire to stop. And I think for me okay, that's... Okay, to, to almost take a pause and reflect on, on what was going on there. So I think that workshop must have been, what, six months ago? It's almost six months. It will be six months. Right. So talk us through what's been happening since then, please. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Okay, so I think um, it has, in fact, actually been surprisingly easy for me. And I think sometimes I kind of feel a little bit guilty that it has been so easy for me. I think it's that spontaneous sobriety. I think you sp spoke to is his name, Ken Middleton. I really love yeah. him. Really, really resonate with him, I think, because I like his triangle, I think it was, or the three-legged strategy mm, of exercise mess, yes. and uh, um, I really, really kind of can buy into that. Um, and I, I just saw so many benefits. And I think my whys were really clear. I knew exactly why, why I wanted to do it. I wanted to have a better relationship with my husband. Um, you know, we're both quite fiery personalities. So obviously, the minute the alcohol starts flowing, then all the arguments start. Um, and I think <laughs> I mention it everywhere, but I think selfishly, um, 
I didn't, you know, want to be confronted the following day with the, can you remember what you said last night? And I couldn't because I don't really like losing. So um, I wanted to be in the palm seat. I want to say, oh, I wanted to be that person. Um, So I I didn't want that anymore. I didn't want the fight. Um, You know, it's just, it it was killing me. And it's not the type of person I am. Um, So I think that was the first thing. Um, Health, obviously, but, uh, you know, I've, I've realized that for people, as I said before, unless you actually have a massive health scare, it's very seldom the reason why people actually stop. Um, Because, you know, we seem to all be functioning quite well. I mean, despite kind of what we put into our bodies, I'm I'm always amazed at, you know, how wonderful our bodies actually are and how they cope with all this stuff, the poison that we kind of put into our body. Four years ago, I was admitted to hospital with a hypertension episode. So I was in ICU for four days. Um, very, very 240 over 180. So um, <laughs> it was very high. And I've been on medication since. Um, and the last visit, so obviously every six months, you have to go back to the doctor to have it um, checked and um, for your subscription to be renewed. And I went to the doctor and kind of, you know, he was testing it on the right arm and pumping, pumping away. And it's like four or five times he said, no, turn around. I need to try your left arm. We're chatting away. It's like, what have you done? Your blood pressure is so low. Um, did you lose a lot of weight? I said, no. Did you, you know, are you very um, uh, fit? I said, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, you know me. I said, but I've stopped drinking. And he's like, oh, wow, really? So I said, Yes. And this is the proof. Um, so I think health did, I mean, it did. That was not, I mean, I had that on my why list, but I don't think that was my main reason for it. And I think being a woman, I think we all would love to see those scales drop. And, you know, I think people at least saying, oh, you've lost a lot of weight. Then at least, you know, the suffering was worth it. So I think weight loss was, was a nice carrot because I read everywhere that you're going to lose all this weight. Obviously, then the sugar kicks in. Um, and then you, your skin looks amazing, I must say. Yeah, and that was the other thing. You must have noticed thing. that. <laughs> the skin thing. I've always had a nice skin, so but um, you know, always go to the you know to the spa, and then they will comment on their skin is slightly dehydrated. Um, and then um, you know, the last two, three times I've gone, you know, it was so instant. It was instantaneously. You know, the, we have you know you know the joke about the lady at the spa thinking that she sold me this amazing product. Meanwhile, I just stopped drinking, um, and she thought my skin was so plump and all of those things. So uh, <laughs> it was lovely. Um, and I think similar thing. I go for um, massages, um, lymph drainage, drainage massages. The same thing. You know, the therapist commented on that. So I mean, there was definitely a big part of the health part, and I think. Being active, I can honestly tell people, I mean, I used to run on fumes and it was actually great. You can run really nice 10Ks or 20K, 21K races on, you know, with a lot of alcohol in your bloodstream. From yeah, well, it's ethanol, it's rocket yes, fuel. Yes, um, so it actually works. But I can promise you 100% honestly, if there's anyone out there that, you know, enjoys the exercise, whatever, it is a completely different ball game. It just it feels like a million times better. And, you know, the, the gym instructor would always tell you it's pointless drinking and then you come on a Monday and you want to kind of burn it off. It takes three days for you to just burn off all that alcohol and then it's actually a waste of your time. You're coming here just to work through the alcohol and, you know, is it really worth it? Um, and I can honestly say, like on a – I don't ha- – I am full out. I'm doing all sorts of – I'm 
gymming, I'm running, I'm doing yoga, I'm horse riding, I'm like really packing it in now because I've got so much free time, of course. But um, so it's just on a different level. Honestly, it's, it just feels a million times better. Um, and I think, yeah, so for me, the big thing was the relationships. And as I said before, the cognitive, cognitive dissonance is just gone. It's gone. I don't have to listen yeah. to these voices in my head all the time about when, how, how much, what did you say? What did you do? And that two o'clock wake up, 2 a.m. wake up in the morning was just horrendous. And I think it was actually Annette who also said that she blamed a lot of it on menopause. <laughs> it's gone. It wasn't menopause. It was actually the alcohol. Um, yeah. so, you know, burning it off and like at four o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, that guilt, shame, regret cycle, it's just gone. It's not there at all. Yeah. Well, well done, Colin. And have you found it relatively easy to stay on track or have you had terrible cravings sometimes? And Never. But I think Never. in the beginning it was actually fairly easy because I was on my own. So, um, you know, it was, yeah. The enchantment, it's lost its enchantment. And for me to sit here today and say that is a massive thing because I am still enchanted by the process. I am still, and I will never, for me, wine wasn't really the problem. Um, alcohol wasn't really the problem. It was bad habit loops. There were things that I had to deal with. Um, I had to decide on the whys and what I wanted to change in my life. Um, the wine was just a nice excuse. It was just a nice crutch. It was just something I used as a gateway drug <laughs> to, yeah. to escape from things. It wasn't really yeah. so. I mean, as as you know, I'm in the industry and I do tastings and things like that. So I am still in awe of the process. I'm still in awe of people who can actually moderate. Um, I think it's a it's a great product. It you know there's a there's a lot of romance around it. Yes. But there's also a lot of, you know, magic that it goes into the making of the product. So, um, but I'm just not one of those people. Um, and maybe one day I can, maybe I do appreciate it, but right now I just don't want it. And I think it's, again, working on that subconscious identity. I don't see myself as a drinker anymore. And, and the minute you switch that, then it's okay. Then it doesn't matter anymore. I did have a lot yeah. of people asking me about it. Um, so obviously I'm... You know, I don't go out to my clients. I've told most of my clients, actually, so they're aware of it. Um, I use the health reason. I think kind of it's easier for them to work around that. Um, but I think... Yes, well, with your hypertension issue, you know, I was... So when you, when you went into hospital with this episode, for example, did they ask you about your alcohol consumption? I got, no, I don't think so. No, no, at the time, I can honestly tell you I was very stressed at work. Um, there yeah. was a lot of sort of family stress, plus we drank mm. a lot. And, yeah. I, you know, it was – so the combination was obviously lethal. Um, so, you know, the stress kind of gave way, but I didn't stop the drinking part. Um, and, I mean, that was <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's also true, isn't it, about the beauticians? You know, I've had that. They're going, oh, your skin's really improved. Is it this product or is it that product? And I go, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, but I don't drink anymore, and I've noticed that. But I've never met a beautician that says, um, oh, you know, do you drink alcohol? You know, that dries your skin and makes you a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think. It's almost like the elephant in the room, isn't it? It is. It is very much so. Um, and I think if people can just, so for me, it's, for me, it has been fairly easy because I was working on the sort of the back end of my program and not necessarily on the, you know, the, the alcohol and what it does and kind of what the industry mm. does and how people romanticize it, whatever. I can see straight through it. I'm in 
the industry I in in I was in advertising, I'm in marketing, I know what people do. Um so I can see straight through it. Um and I'm not, you know, I'm not gullible enough to believe believe all of those things. Um but so my reasons were solid enough. I knew why yeah. I wanted to do it. Uh, and you, you strike me as a very strong person and uh, I, I'm a little bit like that. I mean, I struggled for years and years because I couldn't bear the thought of not having any alcohol in my life. So I kept trying to moderate, trying to control and falling off and on and off and on. And it was it was dreadful. But once I got to the stage, I mean, in my case, I had to have a bit of a rock bottom. I was having blackouts and all sorts of things. But once I'd made up my mind that that was it, I wasn't going to drink anymore, I found peace somehow and you know admittedly I had to work out a few tools you know and how to navigate my social life but but once I've made up my mind it was it was much easier and you, you strike me as uh, that kind of a person like that once you've set your mind to something it'll happen I, I honestly I'm surprised at the fact that I could do this I've always wanted to be one of those people you know when you see somebody and they've like lost like 50ks and they post their before and after pictures and they go if I can do it so can you yes, and I always thought hell that would be nice to say that to people and I could honestly sit here today and say if I can do it so can you yeah no, but I mean it was always like you know that's kind of you know the only reference I have but I always wanted to be able to be that person who says that to someone and I can honestly say I'm actually taken by surprise that it was this easy and but I you know I think also it was probably a lot easier then when you gave up because the world is changing and I can honestly tell you from a marketing perspective and trends and the world it's not necessarily sobriety but this whole alcohol-free thing is really really taking off which is obviously good news for the rest of us but the well for us but it is massive and it's just going to grow it's not going to get no less and I think that's so it's there there are a lot of products that you can still have in your glass and you can still feel like an adult and because I'm not and I thought that was going to be my biggest challenge I honestly like the taste of wine and I did a tasting the other day of a 43 flight wine I do like the taste of wine I can say that without a doubt but and I don't really like so I would prefer beer and sort of more tarty kind of taste so I don't really drink like ciders because they're too sweet so a lot of soft drinks are sweet and I mean I was just I was just thinking what the hell am I going to drink I mean I think that was my biggest worry all along was what am I going to drink I can't drink water all day I mean really after a while you feel a little bit flushed out um so and you also feel deprived and I didn't want that so I think this was a perfect time because all of a sudden there were so many alcohol-free products in the market and everybody was trying to sell. Absolutely. So I found myself, and I think most amazingly, uh, which of course I'm telling everyone who's drinking wine still, is that, I mean, I could easily finish a bottle. Whew, that was not a problem at all. Um, now, if I drink the alcohol-free wines or whatever, after a glass and a bit, you're like, oh, okay, I've had enough of that. Um and there's no arguing around the fact that the alcohol makes you want to drink more. <laughs> I mean, yes, well, it, <laughs> it is an addictive drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also once you've got one glass, I mean, there's no ways I'm going to stick to one glass. I mean, what's the yeah. point? Then I'd rather drink something else. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. 
because it's a diuretic as well, so it makes us thirsty, doesn't mm. it? But but yes, that that's my view on moderation. Actually, if I can only have a bottle and a half of wine a week, then I'd rather not bother because for me that's not worth having. You know, I'm not going to measure out little glasses here and little glasses there. Just just give me something else. Your, your timing has been perfect because when I when I gave up six years ago. I literally had the choice of a Coke or a glass of water or an appetizer. And that, that was miserable, you know, because I did feel sorry for myself and, mm. and grumpy about the fact that, you know, I just didn't have anything decent to drink. And they usually put it in a horrible glass just to add insult to injury. That's, yeah, it makes it easier for other people. I find. Yeah. If you are in, a, you know, so if you're invited over, so I was clever the first trip I made out and socialized, I socialized with a really easy crowd, you know, people that wouldn't judge, people that wouldn't, and I really honestly went there and I said, I'm not drinking, I'm on a 66 days channel, and they accepted it, so nobody, you know, but they not, they weren't the type of crowd who would go, oh no, drink some, I can't believe you're not drinking, so they weren't, so I, I chose them specifically um, for the occasion, but I think it's just, I find just wherever I go now, it's just easier if I'm also drinking something that looks like it's alcohol. And it's not for me. Yeah. It's actually for the other people. Yeah, it takes the yeah. pressure off them and then it becomes less of a thing. Mm. Whereas if there's, yeah, I think obviously it shines a very bright spotlight on everyone's drinking and um, and they become concerned that you're going to become judgmental and as holier than thou person, especially someone like me. They know that I drink. I come from the wine industry. I'm normally the one that brings the wine which I still do, um, but I just don't drink it. So, Carlin, you're a, a very active member of our community, which we appreciate enormously. Um, just talk to us about how that's helped you a bit and how you enjoy helping other people now, because you do. Yes, I think for me that probably, um, I mean, just to sort of take one step back, I think obviously we all know if you look at the benefits of it, one of the benefits of being present in your life, of you know, having this much time, free time on your hands is actually that, you know, you have time to explore your creativity again. Um, I always used to love writing, but I just never had the time reading and writing. But as you know, once you've had a bottle of wine at night, you most certainly not going to flip open a book or switch on the Kindle or whatever. So you just miss out on all of that. And, um, and I've always had a deep desire sort of to help people just to share stories with people and, and things. So I think it's given me the opportunity to just have time again to actually kind of explore and help and read. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite a curious person by nature. So uh, I think that is enormous. I mean, there's no ways. When I joined, um, I immediately asked for a sober buddy because I'm not a very good herd animal. Um, so I immediately connected with someone that I knew that's obviously on um, our group as well. Um, and Laura was just brilliant. She was a perfect match. And, um, you know, she was just the right person. I could ask questions, but she wasn't intrusive. It, you know, it was just easy. She gave me a couple of pointers. Um, it was wonderful to connect. And I think, I mean, I look at the group now and I see new people coming on and just how supportive people are. And kind of when you nearly 200 days into it, you kind of forget what it felt like on that first day and just seeing how, you know, how people genuinely respond to positivity and help and knowing that they, you know, there are people out there. It's wonderful. It's, and I, and you cannot do it without a, a community. There is no way. And, and it's lovely to see people checking in and saying, I'm having a rough time. I need a drink right now. And then how people just jump on board and there's an accountability. So I think for me, 
with my type of personality was probably more about the accountability because once I've signed up, then I'm not going to be the one that fails. But I think, I mean, I have an online tracker and something that's quite interesting with my type of personality, I, I did the, I ticked off the sober days in the morning when I got up. I wouldn't go back on it. Something. So for me, I think the group is important in terms of all the amazing, I think, you know, your podcast, the links that are shared. by. So I think you do need a tribe. There's no doubt about it. Also, I think what's really nice is all the members that have stayed on, you know, people that are active in the group, like, you know, Lucy and Lynette and all those people, because I think it gives people hope. Um, mm. It gives people something to work towards. You know, some people just need the hope. Other people just need the challenge. Other people just, you know, that's, and it's wonderful that there are different yeah. stages of it. And and I love seeing, like, when you did the sober challenge, I mean, the spring, sober spring challenge, and like people struggling in the beginning and then towards the end. It's like seeing your children graduate. So <laughs> exciting. You see them and you can actually see just in 66 days what a massive change has yeah. come about. It's beautiful to see. It's it's really exciting. Yeah. And personally, I'm thrilled that I never envisaged that people that got sober with us would hang around. You know, I thought, oh, well, they'd think, okay, I'm done. I'm off now. But they're still there and they're helping other people. It's so beautiful. But I think there's something in the helping of other people. And I think yeah. for me, that's kind of why I started my blog. Because once yeah. we started doing that, there's also a bit of accountability. So now I'm yes. putting it out there. So you can't really reject on that and go, oh, sorry, but I'm, you know, look at me on social media. I'm drinking up a storm. Um, so you've got to practice what, you know, what you're preaching. And I think for me, that's part of it. It's kind of like putting it out there and and say, okay, well, I'm Yes, yes. I, I did the same. In fact, World Without Wine is the name of my personal blog. So uh, <laughs> I didn't really envisage it would, it would grow so much. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your your blog, Carlin. Okay, so I started. It's not only so as I mentioned right at the at the start of this conversation. Um, for me, it's a lot about being forty seven years old. Um, you know, all the baggage that we I mean, we all have trauma of some sorts. Mine is not. You know, nothing to write home about. Um, it's nothing massive. Nothing you know major happened, but it happened, and things happened in my life. And I think for me, it is creating a platform that's not necessarily just about giving up alcohol. Obviously. Part of it is is about that. Um, but it's also about the struggles of especially women. And um, I've written it in Afrikaans because that's obviously my mother tongue. And I just feel that I think, you know, in the Afrikaans community, especially there's nothing about alcohol. There's nothing about giving up alcohol. And it's a very taboo sort of topic um, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of us are quite religious. So I think and we come from religious backgrounds, a lot of people would. Um so I think, you know, talking about and being classified as an alcoholic is a, whew, that's a terrible thing. So for me, it's just kind of putting things out there and creating a platform, hopefully at some point where, where people would feel like they could share their stories, where they could feel like, you know, I, I want to do this anonymously, but I want to get it out there. I need to like, so it's a little bit of an agony auntie kind of pen pal Camino things. It's kind of like walking and getting rid of all these things and just putting it out there and saying to people, look, there's someone like you. They might not have the words to put it into, but, um, and creating a safe space for people just to kind of go on a journey um, and, and a pilgrimage between, and giving up wine has been a pilgrimage for me. It just really has. Um, and something that has formed such an integral part of my life, you know, so that's kind of what I want to create there. 
And um, lovely. So, find... so where where can people find it, Carla? Um, I actually have a website. Oh, very fancy. Um, okay. I have a, a website. It's called Weinflich. Um and I also I'm on um, Facebook. Uh, so the Facebook handle is Weinflich Urit, which means wine fly over it. Um, and Urit is a very sort of a colloquial sort of Cape Afrikaans, like a KP Afrikaans um, word. Uh, yeah, so I'm on there and it, people seem to like it. But yes, I'm, I'm deliberately not making it all about just giving up wine. Um, it, no, no. It's, it's just about us. And I think we've got so yeah, much. Well, it is. is part of a, a broader thing. You know, we've we've gone on to see, I mean, Laura is a lovely example, isn't she? I mean, she's still still young and she she gave up uh, drinking with us a few years ago and now she's a sober buddy, but she's also an artist, isn't she? I mean, she never used to paint like that when yeah. she was drinking. So that's just one example of, of the amazing things that happen yeah. when, when people stop drinking. Okay, well, I'll put the name of the, the blog in the show notes, so hopefully you'll get a few more followers. So let's switch topics to the dealkalized wine, etc. because I uh, I think you know I interviewed the two ladies from Drink Nil. Uh, I think you know them, don't you? You know, the husband, uh, earlier this week. And, I mean, what is it, just three weeks ago now, they launched this online platform, which I think is going to do really well. But talk to us about your view of the uh, the alcohol-free wines, dealkalized wines, and what's good and what's not good. How should we choose them? I think choose beer first. Um, I think that just in terms of the process of dealkalizing wine, so basically they they have to strip the alcohol out of the wine, and by stripping alcohol out of the wine, they strip um, also the the flavor, for lack of a better description, or, you know, I don't want to get too technical. So they basically strip that out as well. That's the one thing. So it loses the fruity character, whatever, you know, the character of the wine is. What it also does is alcohol gives wine body. So it holds things together. Um, and it has a mouthfeel. So it gives you that sort of nice round mouthfeel in your mouth. And I think by dealkalizing wine, that's the tricky part. That's what makes it so difficult for winemakers is to get something that actually tastes like wine without the alcohol is very, very difficult. And specifically on white wines. On red wines, it's easier um, because they have tannin structure. So the tannin gives it that mouthfeel. Um, but uh, and that's why you'll often find with white wines that people complain it's actually too sweet. Um, because I think a lot of winemakers add Moscato to it because Moscato gives it that nice fruity flavor and it holds it up. Uh, so white wines, honestly, I haven't really found one except the Bonnevale um, Sauvignon Blanc dealkalized one, which was launched recently. They are a client of mine, but they it's really, a, really a good product. So that's something that I think I, you know, I would be able to drink. Um, and then the dealkalized range from Woolworths, um, they have a it's, a, it's like a bubbly, but I have to admit, I don't drink, I, you have to chill it a lot. So I think that's one tip, please, when you drink any dealkalized white or rosé wine, it has to be close to frozen, then it actually works really well, or with ice. Um, so the rosé, it's a Moscato rosé, it's actually really nice, but I do make a spritzer out of it. So I just add some soda water with it, um, which which works really nice. So I can drink that when everybody else is having bubbly or an MCC, I just pour a glass of that and I just sort of dilute it with some more soda water because I'm not a fan of sweet products. Um, then the dealkalized Merlot from um, Woolworths is, is as close 
to damage as you can get. I've had some people taste it and actually go, oh, this is actually not bad. I mean, I suppose I could if I had to. I'm talking about wine drinkers. That said, I think the ones that I've really found is actually quite nice, not necessarily the alkalized wines, but is the bitters. Um, Babylon's Turin have got a product called Bitter Lacquer, which means very nice, very good in Afrikaans and actually in Dutch. Um, it is really good. And they come in the cutest little bottles. So you like you feel really cool about it. And then abstinence, um, which is also bitters, and it's on the site of the ladies um, from Drink No. That's really good. Then from a beer perspective, um, I really like um, the Devil's Peak Yero. Um, it's really a really nice product. It's refreshing. And then if you really want to be adding it, it's brilliant. It really is as close as, as you possibly could get to the original product. Some of the others I find there's still quite a lot of yeast on it or um, quite a lot of sulfur to carry the, wine, uh, the beer product. But it's easier to do it with beer. So that's why I always say to people, if you do a tasting menu somewhere, have it with a dealkalized beer. Because if you do it with mocktails or those things, the sweet is not going to work with the food. So rather opt for a beer because your tasting would be much nicer in terms of complementing the food than it would if you ordered a mocktail. But then I must admit, I've gone out in Cape Town, obviously, to a couple of really nice restaurants. And the mocktails are magnificent. People are really putting effort into it, which is wonderful. Going to a restaurant where you know the wine is going to be super expensive and the whole restaurant's about a wine and pairing sort of experience and you sit down and you see you know the menu and they have mocktails and we went to a restaurant in town and my son tried it he said mom I'm sure there's alcohol in this thing so I called the waiter back I said I'm driving um <laughs> are you sure this he said ma'am there's nothing in it I promise you it's a mocktail so I think it's wonderful to see that you know we could go out and we can have like adult drinks and people are really making the effort. But I think from the drink mill ladies, it's fantastic that they've launched it. It's a place where you can buy one bottle, whereas most other places they will try and sell you six um, if it's online. I think they're doing a splendid job. And um, they were they actually also um, sent me a review on the Bonneville Sauvignon Blanc d'Alc and said it was the best d'alkalized white wine they've tasted to date. And I know who they're using as tasters. These are wine, wine people. So <laughs> they will try and get something that, that's close to the real thing. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. So there's probably never been a better time to, to give up drinking for a while. Yeah, it's so interesting what you're saying, Carlin. And in fact, I mentioned this in my discussion with Drink Nil as well. Um, I went to La Colombe alcohol-free tasting menu the other day. They, they they brought it out during the alcohol ban. And much to my surprise, when I went there last week, they were still doing it. So I was delighted because I thought that was just a one-off for the alcohol ban. So just thinking back to what we had, we, we started with a, a, a mocktail, which was a, a margarita, and it was absolutely delicious. And then, you know, they, they brought various kind of mocktails and, and alcohol-free wine that I didn't like very much. But then they brought Devil's Peak with one of the courses. I remember thinking, oh, okay, that's that's a bit strange. But in fact, 
it really brought out the flavors of the food that I was eating so much better than uh, than any of the sweet drinks. I think the problem is that the sweetness overpowers the, the taste of the actual food. So that's why it makes it difficult to do it with. And I honestly wouldn't even venture that. I mean, I'd have a mocktail when we start out. And in most places, when it's quite sophisticated, it's not like this jug of margarita that you get. You get it in a nice, decent, small glass. So you can finish mm. it before the food arrives. And then you've had your adult experience. And then, you know, if you want to have something with it, you know, either have water and, or, um, yeah, and I have to admit, um, I'm sitting here claiming that everything has been really easy, but I, I do catch myself when we go out. You have that tiny little spike of excitement that your brain still, you know, that little dopamine search where it goes, ooh, we're going out, ooh, why? And then when you, you, you know, which shows what a massive habit it is. And then when you catch yourself, you go, okay, no, that's not going to happen tonight. But that doesn't mean it's going to be boring or you're going to, you're actually going there for the food, remember? Um, you're paying all that money for a chef that's preparing an amazing meal. And once you kind of over that little hurdle, then it's fine. Then you've switched yeah. channels and you're fine. Okay, Carla. Well, that's been fascinating. Let's imagine someone's listening to this and they know they're drinking too much and they've got to do something about it. Any tips for them? Any encouragements? I think the encouragement is that life obviously is much better on the other side. However, I think that you have to really want to do this. I think that's the big thing. Um, I mean, it's the same with losing weight. If we really wanted, we all know what we should be doing. Um, I knew for many years what I should be doing, but I didn't. So I think that's the big thing. And I think you have to work out what your reward is. What are you getting from this? What is really the thing that you're getting from this? And is that worth the while? I think when once you start weighing things up and the things that you're losing versus gaining from it, that that's the switch. But you know, I think I think starting with a challenge is a good thing because I think kind of as people see um, you know, things improving and they actually see it and feel it for themselves. I mean, we can all sit here and tell people and they go, Oh, yeah, whatever. It's not me, I'm not that person, kind of thing. But I think you really, first of all, need to be ready for this. You need to really want to do this. And I think secondly is join a tribe, do a challenge, um, because then you'll actually see the benefits of it. Um, and, yeah, and decide what the reward system is. That you, what, what, what are you getting out of this? Because for me, I think, honestly, I can say that it wasn't serving me anymore. It served me hell of a great for many years, and I had great times, great experiences, wonderful experiences because of wine. Um, not necessarily drinking it, but being in the industry and traveling and meeting amazing people and tasting some of the and drinking most amazing wines in the world. So, but I think it's it, it's not serving me anymore. Um, it's taking too much from me, um, and it's not giving me enough facts. I think yeah, you have to decide what your whys are, and once you've got that and you really believe it and you really want to achieve those whys, then then mm -hmm. for me it was easier. Yeah, and you make such a good point there, Carlin, about the uh, what we lose and what we gain, and we kind of weigh them up because I think it stops a lot of us embarking on this journey because we think we're going to lose so much. You know, we're not going to have fun. We're going to lose all our friends, and we're going to we're not going to be able to relax. So we have all those worries, don't we, about what we'll lose, and we we're not focusing on on the considerable benefits. You know, the perfect example of.
Yeah, and I think the mind is a tricky little bastard. He does exactly oh, it that. Yeah, it keeps reminding you what you lose, but not what you'll gain, because it's easier to continue along this path, because then it doesn't have to do all that hard work. And I think, for me, I think that's probably, I, I think the... Um, I think the motto of this whole thing or the, the thing that you can cling on to, whatever you want to call it, is that who said hard, you know, who said it was going to be easy and why it's, I think it's Lynette's quote. How do we uh, yeah, that was a beautiful anecdote from Lynette. I remember she said she, she went to her therapist. She was about two months sober, really struggling. And she said to her therapist, this is so hard. And the therapist said, what's wrong with hard? I mean, brilliant. It is brilliant. <laughs> and I think it's so true. We just have to push through that mm. that stage, don't we? Yeah. And, and then it but, gets yeah, so much easier. I think for me, it really, I was ready. Um, and I know everybody's, you, know, you don't have to wait till you hit rock bottom and wait for a massive health scare or whatever. If, you, if you're concerned about it, just, you know, take a break. You don't have to commit. And I think this big scary thing about never doing it ever again. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. brain will rebel against that, obviously. But I think yeah. it's just... Yeah. We have to avoid the F word. Forever. <laughs> so there you heard me talking to the lovely Carlin. As usual, I'm going to pull out some key points. Now, Carlin's quest for sobriety was part of something bigger. She was actually exploring mindfulness and realised that alcohol just didn't fit in. After all, how can we be mindful if we're numbing ourselves with alcohol? She talked about the value of our community and paid special tribute to her sober buddy, Laura. Now, Laura's just celebrated her two-year anniversary, so if you're listening to this, well done, Laura. Laura's actually going to be featured on the podcast soon, so watch this space. Carlin also talked about exercise, about how her running used to be fueled by alcohol. Well, after all, alcohol is ethanol, which is used in petrol and rocket fuel, so maybe this makes sense. Seriously, though, she emphasised how different her running feels these days. She said it felt a million times better. And indeed, she's doing lots of other types of exercise as well, because she's got more time on her hands now that she doesn't drink. I ended our conversation by asking Colin for a few quick hacks to help people who were just starting out. She kicked off with a very clever little tip. She keeps a tracker, like many people, and in the morning, first thing, she actually ticks off that day as an alcohol-free day. That way, she feels it's more likely to happen, as she certainly doesn't want to have to go back to correct it. Now, we often resist giving up alcohol as we fear that we'll lose more than we gain, whereas, in fact, it's the other way round. Carlin emphasised that we gain so much more as we begin to thrive in our alcohol-free lives. Another tip from Carlin was to be very clear why you're doing this. It's so easy to forget when you're a few months in and you feel a bit flat, a bit demotivated, and you think, oh, why am I doing this again? You just tend to forget. But it's so important to have your why list. Write down the list of reasons why you want to give up drinking and keep that list somewhere where you can see it every single day. We always recommend writing it in the front page of your journal. When we do our workshops and we ask people why they want to give up drinking, the reasons that come out are always so significant. You know, they're doing it to save their marriage or to be closer to their children or to 
be more healthy for their mental and physical health, huge reasons, but you need to keep these reasons top of mind. One of our members, Lucy, has created an exercise called Finding Your Why, and that's helped many people to work through these thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Till next time. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.